similar to what I'm doing right now with support groups. Like I go to support groups to air out what's happening and it normalizes it. It's kind of similar with grief. It normalizes grief and like now I still have a lot of grief and I just kind of experience it, let it wash over me and then I am able to move on and be a human in this world. Because otherwise, I, I don't feel like, I feel like grief never really fully takes over. It's just a part of the ecosystem of Sarah. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives, in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Today on the podcast, I have Sarah Davis. She is a podcast producer and learning experience designer who started Breathing Wind in 2019, just three years after her dad passed away, after her dad died. And she created that in order to be able to express her grief as well as to be able to learn the different ways people are grieving. And that was one of her tools. And I am happy to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I am glad you're here. Last week, we I was recording on your podcast, and now we swapped it. So uh, <laughs> you're on the other side. It's always different to be on the receiving end of a podcast when you're the one asking questions usually, right? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it is always different. <laughs> yeah, it feels a little different. Sometimes I'm like, wait, can I ask a question? <laughs> can I ask a question? <laughs> so welcome. So Sarah, I'd like to start off with a little bit of who you are. Let's start with where you are. Where do you live now? I am in Des Moines, Iowa, and this is actually where I was raised, I born and raised, and then I left when I was young and then came back. Young, how old? How old were you when you left? Well, I guess I was 22 and I moved to the East Coast, to DC mostly. And then I moved to the West Coast, to the San Francisco Bay Area. And yeah, yeah, it's, and it's very different coming back as an adult. There's a lot of familiarity, but then there's also a lot of newness to it that I wouldn't have experienced had I stayed here forever. That's that's uh, great. Yeah, it, you're seeing it differently because of who you are now. It's how you're perceiving, right? The the reality of your space very differently because you've also lived away and it just looks different when you come back. The um, question I have for you is: Did you leave to go to school when you left at 22? Is that why you left? Yeah. Well, I, well, I think that was around when I graduated. Okay. Um, I went to University of Iowa, so I was still in Iowa. So I guess I did technically leave um, Des Moines <laughs> to go to school. Um, so yeah, I was still in Iowa, but just had graduated and I had studied in DC for a semester. And so I was like, I'm gonna go back. That's where I meant to be. <laughs> and end game is DC. So, and then it was really surprising for me to make that shift then to the West Coast. To San Francisco. Yeah. What did, did you study? What did you study? Was it in, in the media aspect? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> no, I'm somewhat of a multi-potentialite, multi-passionate person. So I've had a lot of interest for a long time. I studied in high school. I started studying Chinese and Mandarin. And I was so interested in in it, I went and I studied abroad when I was in high school and stayed with a host family. And so I was pretty much like, this is it. This is it for me. <laughs> 
definitely like uh we were talking about in last week um this sort of like i like i like having spreadsheets in order and things happen in this way and so i'm just like okay i found it it is chinese and i am meant to be in china for some period of time and like studying international relations or something so my um i had a double major in global studies and then east asian languages and literature with the emphasis on mandarin and i did not do anything with that degree <laughs> Except that when I was in grad school, I did study, um, I was studying the likelihood of whether rural Chinese students would repeat their senior year as it was part of like the education umbrella. So mm -hmm. I did use it a little bit then, but I didn't use it nearly as much as I had hoped or thought or dreamed. And it's probably like one of my earliest disappointments, but looking back on it now, it's it's very clear to me I'm not a native Chinese speaker, and a lot of the roles that I was looking at were required some much more fluency than than what I had developed in college. So yeah. But the part of learning a language is more than the fact of whether you're going to use it to is this the part of how it even stimulates your brain the fact that you were able to be exposed to a whole other culture because you went even to the country of that language, it opened this other door of you learning about other cultures and within that learning even about yourself because it took you even away. So whether you pursued it as a you know, career per se or using it in your career it still molded who you are now, right? Oh, yes, totally. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me about that. I'm like, oh, Girl, who am I speaking to? Listen, listen, I'm saying this because I relate to it as someone that studied theater and that I am not on a stage right now, you know, so I, I say it based on my own assessment of my, re of my own reality <laughs> that we all, something that we do within that is still building us to who we are now, right? We just don't sometimes yeah. see all the little puzzle pieces. Yeah. And I remember Chinese is such a, I don't know if you know much about Chinese. Oh, it's a whole, very, very <laughs> little, but I know it's a, the, one of the hardest languages because it is a very complex alphabet. And it's a tonal language too. So you have to listen, you have to build your listening ear and then, and then speak in a way that you're not accustomed to, to kind of match the cadence. And um, I remember when I left, when I got back, and my mom just told me it sounded like I was singing all the time. Mm. And now I, audio, I am kind of an audio nerd now. <laughs> I try to like limit it. I try to not like let myself get carried away because you could, there are editors and sound engineers who could really, you know, get into the nitty gritty. And I'm, I've already decided that's not the path for me. I'm not going to become professional sound engineer but it has helped me a lot with identifying sounds and hearing and and listening for all the things that you listen for when you're listening to spoken word yeah when you're interviewing and that's what you picked up even when i interviewed on your podcast that my mic was not sounding properly <laughs> and if it had not been that you picked that up i would have not known that i'd been using the the mic from the computer and not my mic that i have here which now we do have, you know, set up. So thank you for your tuned ear that realized that something was off with my sound. And for the listeners now, hopefully you'll hear better quality sound coming out of my, my podcast. And that's all due to Sarah pointing out there's something not right. I'm like, I knew there was something not right, but we didn't know what. So thank you. Thank you for, thank you for you studying Chinese. And that now brought us to, uh, <laughs> to you picking up on all those little details. So after all that, you then lived in DC. You were there probably working then when you then left, you found job, went to then San Francisco. What brought you back to Iowa? Cause that's part of the, the journey here. So tell us your story of returning back home. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I think it's something I had toyed with for a long time when you're in the Bay area the cost of living is so big unless you're 
a tech person, it's just, it's astronomical. You learn how to live with it. I learned how to use my network to find housing, which was helpful because <laughs> I was never into the tech scene. So I do remember, and one of my friends reminded me of this, when I was first in San Francisco, I had toyed with the idea of leaving to be with my parents or to be like back at home because it is so much more affordable and you could do adult things here, like purchase a house. So I had been toying with the idea for a long time, but I didn't really seriously start thinking about it until my dad got sick and it was October of 20. Uh, so October is always an interesting month for me. It was October of 2016. And I was just kind of like, I need to go back. And he was like, no, no, <laughs> your life is there. Do not come back. So I just came back and visited. I would visit once a month and that was really helpful. But um, I think, I think that it really was a process because that first year was really just about like figuring out what is it? How do I grieve? What, what am I doing here? And then the second year afterwards was like, how do I live my purpose? Because my purpose isn't going to an office every day, but what is it going to look like? How am I going to earn money? What am I going to do? You know, where am I going to create content that gives back to the world? So that was what I was spending that year doing. <laughs> that, so this is the year. So October, 2016. So this is, this is when your dad was sick and then, you, this is when you're toying with the idea of going back. You just decided to just go back and forth a month. How long after that did he die after that 2016, Octo you know, to the October 2016 when you started going back and forth? It was December. December. Month. So just a, a few few months after. So you had mm -hmm. been going that. And then all these questions start coming up for you of the, okay, what do I do now? right? More of that mm -hmm. kind of catalyst of change. So for a year, you're going through that. So 2017 comes around, you're still kind of in that back and forth of feel, figuring out how you're grieving and what do you do? And then what happened? Yeah. I mean, I think then um, I had this idea about a podcast and I I also really wanted to be a digital nomad. I wanted to be doing more work abroad, but that was kind of further down the line. Ultimately, I was spending a lot of time thinking how, what is the thing that I spend the most time thinking about? Where, what are my gifts and how can I give back? And I thought it would be a book because I felt more drawn to the written word. I didn't feel as comfortable in front of a mic back then. By the way, listeners, people get more comfortable in front of mics <laughs> when they are podcast hosts. Oh, yeah. Um, you learn to have to be. <laughs> I went through this whole process. So I was actually really afraid of being a podcast host. I was like, this may not be the thing for me. You know, this is a very vulnerable topic. But the idea kind of came around the very beginning idea in January of 2018. And I was like also working with a coach to try and quit my job because that had been something ingrained in me for a long time that you have a job or you move, you move through the steps and you do the things. And, um, and during that time, that's when I was like, okay, if I do this, I am going to spend half of my time dreaming up this podcast, making this podcast happen. So I spent a lot of time that year decompressing and then contracting and also working on the podcast. And I mean, I didn't even think, it probably wouldn't have even come to existence if I hadn't reached out to my community and asked, hey, you know, I'm thinking about talking about this vulnerable topic. Would anybody want to do this, you know, beyond this podcast? And suddenly I had like 20 pre-interviews, which was a lot. <laughs> And, and then I was like, okay, this is, this is what I need to focus on right now. And eventually got it out in the world. So that was 2020. 
when it finally made its way into the world. So mm-hmm. no, no, 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> so a year. So a year in that process, doing the pre-interviews. Doing now, how did it? Feel at the beginning because part of that that was part of your way of grieving was also learning about how people grieve. Do you remember that first interview you had and then how it felt and the story and how you started to learn more about your own grief journey of your father as you were listening to other people's journeys? Mm, such a good question. I I had no training <laughs> whatsoever. And I just, I remember feeling at some point a sense of kind of despair because I had been so immersed in it. I'd been talking to people. Um, Not everybody became um, somebody who I talked to because I was very focused on this concept of pre-interview, then interview, and and then record, and then edit. And, but all the editing, I wasn't even focused on the editing. I was just focused on the recording. And by October, January, November, November, I remember this distinctly, by November of 2019, <laughs> I had amassed all these recordings, not 20, like it was probably four or five. And I had a freak out moment at that, at that time. And I was like, I don't want to do this. This is really vulnerable. I don't want to put this out there. I hadn't even, keep in mind, I hadn't even edited any of this yet. So I didn't know about the quality or anything. (laughs) I was just like in my own head. I was in my own head. I was still trying to figure out what the name was going to be. I was so like, I had a deadline. So I was like, okay, I've got the deadline. I've got to reach that. But do I really even want to do it? And um, I just, I went on a long hiking trip backpacking with a couple of friends in california and we just we had a lot of conversations about it one happens to be he's a producer video producer he's like you really need like this is authentic this is something that is really going to help people so he really kind of like built me up to do it and then the other one he's more of a consultant type so it was helpful to hear his perspective too just on like the name and like some of the formats. So I was able to decide the name and then kind of move forward after that. And then I also had an in-person interview with Ken Brenneman. And one of two, I only had two in-person interviews (laughs) because then as we know, the pandemic hit. But um, he introduced the concept of ritual for me. And he also had some realizations after we had recorded, which he, his mom had passed away a long time ago, even though he works in the grief space now, he's yoga therapist, thanatologist. He had had some early experiences that made me think he had already kind of processed everything, but it had been a long time that he'd spoken about it. And afterwards he said, I felt stuck. I was like, well, why? Why would why would anybody feel stuck? <laughs> and um, and that's kind of when I started to think about ritual. He had brought in some ritual elements of his own. He brought in a photo of his mom. Um, but I started to think about it because I spoke with a friend who was a Zen Buddhist, and he he said, well, if he feels stuck, it's because you're not creating. He didn't say it in this way. He said it in a very <laughs> kind way. But you're not creating a safe container. And not just for your guest, but for you. You know, like what is going to be your symbol symbolic space holding place? Um, or wh- how are you going to create that? And so I started to introduce um, some elements that helped with the ritual of bringing, bringing in photos of our loved ones um, I love sound healing, so yes, <laughs> the Tibetan <and>, bowl. <laughs> and I asked you to do it today because you did it when we re- right before we recorded last week, and I'm like, oh, that felt so good. That I actually then incorporated that in another interview. I had not the sound, but I, you know, did the deep breath with I. Well, because the person I was interviewing and what is was yogi, uh, a yogi, and that interview would probably come out before yours, and so. 
with that interview, I said, Phoebe, would you guide us in some breath work before we start the interview? But it was really inspired based on how you started. I I am much of, for me, like in certain things, my ritual a lot of times is prayer. But at the same time, with this space, not knowing where a person's coming from, you know, starting that way may not be the the right space for everyone because every guest is different. But how you incorporate the part of the sound and the breath and the bringing the spirit, the the pictures is something anybody could relate to regardless. So I, I really love that that part of incorporating that in, that ritual into your recording. So thank you for introducing me to that. You said Ken introduced yeah. you and now Kendra, Ken. <laughs> Kendra. <laughs> Ken Ken is one of my nicknames too. So it's like so thank you to Ken to then get to kind of guiding it to you that then now I learned it myself too. So that's awesome. So how yeah. did that change then when you started to incorporate that then? How did that start shifting the energy of how you felt when you started incorporating ritual? Was- and how did that also shift? in your own grief, not just your recording, that that also then become a part of your own practice and your own grief journey aside from when you're recording? Oh, yeah. So the timeline is what I'm thinking about here, but um, it, it shifted everything for me in terms of my recording. I was able to be present with people and be in the moment more as opposed to kind of that let's let's get through the pro- production part right because there is there is an element of production that happens um but i was i was maybe more focused on that before i realized hey this is this is a sacred space for sharing stories yes we are sharing stories to the whole world but in this moment we are here together as two people and we are um holding a space for each other, essentially. So it really, really helped. (laughs) And I don't always do it now because now it's like a slightly different subject matter. It's not always personal. Um, Sometimes it is, but yeah, it's slightly different focus, but it shifted a lot for me. And then how I found sound healing was just, I think one of the many, (laughs) I tried basically everything under the roof when I was grieving. I, um, sound healing came about actually, um, I was doing a triathlon. I was training for a triathlon for raising money for blood cancers because my dad had had blood cancer and I fell and I had a concussion. So sound healing came that year, that new, it was new year and it was quite by accident. It was, it was at a yoga New Year's ceremony, and the person who was doing the sound had went around, and um, she had like a tuning fork and some kashi chimes, and just kind of gave each person a sound healing in addition to a sound bath. <laughs> so I actually had been volunt. I decided I'm gonna volunteer with her. I'm gonna learn everything I can about sound healing back to the multi-potentialite, multi-passionate yeah. person. So sound healing became a part of my life. And so it felt quite back natural. Back to sound though. too, though. Here's back to sound though. You mentioned musicality in the language of of, Chinese, of the Mandarin Chinese. Then here with sound again, with that yeah. being incorporated into your healing, it's like all these elements that, that it's okay. Sorry, I just like okay. Ah, so that's I mean, yeah. And you're you reminding ha- me. I studied. Um, I mean, I pl- I played flute and piano growing up, and cello as an adult. So wow. it's always had had a place in my life. Music. Oh wow, so perfect. So it's just all kind of all bringing it all together in your own healing journey of, of that. That's amazing. So, so then you started then to do that. And then did that start, did you start feeling like your grief was moving through more as you were doing these sound rituals for yourself? 
Yes. Sound yes. healing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for guiding me back there. <laughs> oh, I inter- I'm the one that interrupted. So I better find <laughs> if I'm inter- detouring, I better bring you back to your <laughs> to your thoughts. Let's just talk about sound healing this whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So I. I just started vocalizing more. I started thinking about how do I tell my story in addition to how do I hear other people's stories? I think I started interviewing for podcasts that year and and trying to find my voice, but also hearing how other people spoke about their their grief journeys. It helped for me to find my voice that way. But I would say at first, it was hard because it was talking about the very thing that I was dealing with. And I don't think I realized that it would be that hard to talk with people about that in the beginning. I just was thinking about it from a producer's standpoint, like here's this, here's this product I want to create for some unknown listener who needs this the way I needed it. But essentially in the process of talking in the process of listening deeply to other people's stories i was i was also confronting grief more often and befriending grief if that's even possible like now i have a, quite a bit to grieve um i met i moved back because my mom has aging issues and she's alone and that she needs extra support not aging issues just she's aging <laughs> her memory is going so it's it's um for me it's just that it was that chance to really kind of step in and begin to process as I was experiencing it which is not something I would necessarily do right now I am not jumping up and down wanting to create a podcast about caregiving (laughs) because I know that it's I I just know it would be just too much to it it wasn't too much then because it wasn't 2016 or 2017 it was 2019 2018 Mm -hmm. 2019 so it was a little bit removed from it but I was still able to tap into it back when I was trying to write the book it was way too much way 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 like I needed there I I was like I can't keep writing this because I think I'm going to need therapy to write this. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same because I was so inside myself. I wasn't connecting with other people. And in the process of connecting with other people who are going through something similar, similar to what I'm doing right now with support groups, like I go to support groups to air out what's happening and it normalizes it. Yes. It's kind of similar with grief. It normalizes grief. And like now, I still have a lot of grief and I just kind of experience it, let it wash over me. And then I am able to move on and be a human in this world. Cause otherwise I, I don't feel like, I feel like grief never really fully takes over. It's just a part of the ecosystem of Sarah. Right. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's just part of one of the array of emotions that we, go through and it's part of our experience. It is not about it making it go away. It's just about incorporating it into our lives and just seeing how we kind of ride along with it because it is going to be part of our lives, whether it's, you know, one for one form of grief here or there, it's going to be part of our lives. I, I, I'm curious to ask you about your upbringing and your beliefs about death prior to your dad dying and how that played a part in your grief journey. What were your beliefs bringing, coming, you know, bring, being brought up about what happens after we die? Yeah, I love that you ask this question because I, I know from our conversation last week, your beliefs and how much um, grief and dying is already a part of your your belief system. I, for me, being from the Midwest and having parents who weren't, you know, super open about expressing their feelings, although I will say, caveat, my mom's a retired psychologist, so 
I did have a feelings wheel in the bathroom and I did have all the things, you know, related to that. So that was part of my upbringing, but it was um, a lot of times when I was expressing emotions, the kinds of expressions I made were like temper tantrums or things that, that got shut down um, because that isn't how good girls behave or whatever, right? So there was some of that happening. Um, but I, in terms of religion, my mom was very spiritual new age and um, she had grown up in an atheist family and I think was creating her own belief system. My dad was Methodist and he was very much of the, you know, we go to church every week. <laughs> so every, I, I did go to church, but I also had every week I had the choice not to. My mom would ask me if I wanted to go and, um, and we would talk about it and then we would go if, if I wanted to. And then I do remember at confirmation having, um, giving a speech about hypocrisy in the church, because to me it felt like this is just something people are going to for social reasons. Of course, I was very judgmental at age 13. <laughs> oh, but the fact that you're having but, those, no, the fact that you're having those type of thoughts and beliefs at 13 is still very mature, because which 13-year-old is thinking about, I wonder why people are here. So very mature way of thinking. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So now, I mean, now I like, I think it's great. If you find community in church, that's great. You have community. Like as an adult, I see that very differently, but so growing up, I had two different belief systems kind of intertwined and I was sort of left to figure it out, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to believe in. But I didn't really think a lot about death. I didn't really think a lot about end of life. I had grandparents pass away, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that experience. It wasn't really a part of our our family conversations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it really wasn't until until I was sort of faced with the reality of my dad dying that I realized, oh, you know, like... <laughs> There's, I don't have anything really to lean on. Like I'd been spending so many years in the Bay Area, which is pretty secular in a lot of ways. Like there's some people who are religious and some people who do have different beliefs, obviously. Um, I just hadn't tapped into that world. I hadn't explored it. And so I actually started going to a church after my dad passed because I wanted to be in a space that reminded me of my childhood religion, right? And I also, at the same time, had gone to a meditation on grief led by somebody who practices shamanic techniques and learned more about that side of the world. So I, I was still doing both at the same time. It took me a while to figure out what does it mean to die? And I still don't, I still figuring that out. Right. I think we all then, are. <laughs> and we'll only, we'll only kind of get a glimpse of it. Who really, really truly knows. Right. I mean, those that have had past, you know, life, the life and death experience, like death experiences that, that, you know, come back, have a glimpse of it. And even that it's probably not even the full expression of what death is. Right. So yeah, we're all in that. Go ahead, Sarah, continue. I was just going to say, but I'm not afraid to talk about death or grief. And I'm usually the first person to reach out if somebody has had a death. And I'm like, I know you may not, we may not be very close, but just know that if you want to talk off the record, because I guess I have to say that, you know, I'm here. I am a good listener, right? Like we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You and I are similar in that. Yeah. I'm not afraid of it, talk, to talk about it either, but, and it's interesting because in this society, it's something that I think we, 
shine away from talking because it reminds us of our own mortality in general. And that's why I think people are so uncomfortable sometimes when someone is going through a really hard experience because it's a reminder that we, you know, like illness or things like that. A lot of times people lose even friendships during that time. Yes. Because others are reminded of their own mortality. Did your dad talk about it when he was sick? Did he talk about his own mortality and his uh, upcoming like death during that time with you or not? No, no, he didn't. Mm. I He mostly was in the mindset of I'm going to beat this thing yes. and I'm going to stay around. And I think that was one of his emails. He said, I... I my work is not done here. I know it's going, I'm going to be better and it's going to be, and he did, he went into remission and at the end of the day, the chemotherapy had, you know, um, basically eaten up his organs and that's how, that's how it all kind of went down. So it was very sudden. He had been feeling really weak around Christmas. And so like around that time, he had done a couple of things that were different than normal. Like he really, really, really wanted me to go to this 6 a.m. coffee meeting that he had with his friend. And at 6 a.m. Iowa time is 4 a.m. California time where I was living at the time. And I was like, dad, I love you, but I just cannot make 6 a.m. work. And he's like, just this once. <laughs> And I just was like, I, I, I was like, no, <laughs> I mean, I regretted that. So actually I met with his friend later, a year later and for coffee, because I was like, my dad really wanted me to do this with him. And I didn't do this. And it was sort of a regret that I had held mm, on to. Like a guilt. Yeah. Guilt a little bit of that, that you didn't yeah. honor what he wanted. And he probably knew those are the the little things that he probably knew he was he did have a some sense of awareness that he was going to die, that like you kind of see those glimpses. And I'm saying this for my own, you know, our parent, both your mom, your my mom, and then your dad died the same year. So uh, I we would see these glimpses too of the hope kind of mentality when she was going through cancer of like, oh, so next year when na 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 and little glimpses of, okay, so let's, you know, I'm like, have to look for grave sites. Mom, do you want to be part of it? Yeah, sure. I want to go and look at the different, you know, cemeteries. So she wanted to be a part of that as well. So that kind of duality of still holding on to hope, but at the same time facing reality can come up in little, little ways. So your dad yeah, was probably sharing that. I think there's a lot of language around cancer, um, survival and war, the war that you're going through when you're in cancer and being a warrior and fighting the battle. And there's so much of that in that culture, maybe of like, maybe there are, there are probably plenty of cases where people have recovered. And so there is reason to have hope, but there's also maybe a subculture happening of like, um, yes, there is a cure. Yes, it is possible to get out. Yes, it's so that's something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Well, it just I guess it it gives you something to look forward to at least uh, for the next day. At least let me let me look at the future. It, yeah, I, I don't. Know. It just gives you some reason of living, holding on to this because it is so hard going through what they're going through physically, emotionally, that at least saying, okay, I'm doing this for a reason, <laughs> like that maybe there's a, that maybe it will turn around and I will live through this. It gives them some yeah, reasoning behind yeah. all the, the struggle that they're going through as they're going through that battle, as you, as you mentioned. Now, yeah. um, regarding your dad dying during December and you mentioning Christmas time, take us into what the holidays in for you, since it is something you celebrate in you celebrate and still that nowadays. Okay. What, what do the holidays mean to you 
what does Christmas mean to you and how do you celebrate it now being that it's during the time that your uh, dad died and has it changed in the last almost six years then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say also that it was really sudden to me. I did. I thought he was going to make it through because he had been in remission and I thought, he just has to get to the hospital to get a blood transfusion. Um, so I, when he passed away, it was so shocking to me. It was so um, unreal in so many ways because I thought he would be around for longer. He was a very vibrant, very um, energetic person. And I mean, I think he was 73. Everybody thought he was in his 60s. He's just like very... I thought he would be around. And so I was in a fair amount of shock. And I just remember I got the news because I had gone to Seattle to celebrate New Year's with friends. And I got the news that night that I arrived. And it was just like, I just spent that night in a hotel room <laughs> taking a bath. I don't know why I was taking a bath. But like the water had gotten cold. My friend finally called me. At first she had offered to like help arrange for me to leave. And I was like, I don't know. I can't do anything. Like I just need to be in a bath. So. What date was it? Called, December what? Back, December 30th. December 30th. Okay. She called back and, um, and she arranged everything. She like canceled the hotel bill. She <laughs> got me on a flight with her miles cause she traveled a lot and she just like covered it all for me. And I was able to get back. And I mean, it was still the holidays. It was still like new year's was happening the next night. And I was up all night just like writing. I, think I was creating a video for his funeral I was very focused on like how do I honor this how do I, I, documentation I wanted to document right I was like okay we've got to like go in and take photos of everything because I know my mom's going to do her own process which is to purge so it was a very hard year <laughs> it was very hard I the next year did not want to did not want to celebrate anything my mom is a huge celebrator of Christmas so I did have to come back and do it, but I was like blinders on. I do not see lights. I do not hear music. Mm. I am not interested in any of the commercialization. And even, um, I guess, 20, 2020 was great in that I didn't have to go anywhere for Christmas. But finally, I would say as of 2021, I actually went out and I, I saw the lights and I wanted to. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Lights have a different meaning now. And I actually went to like a festival, a tree festival, and toured around and looked at the lights with a friend of mine. And it was just really, it was um, a new way of seeing the holiday. Mm. So that was the first time. <laughs> I don't know how it will be now because here the holidays are so much more emphasized so i'm not sure how it's going to feel in i guess people start to do holiday stuff right after halloween oh yeah so i don't know how it's going to feel you know to have it bombarded whereas in san francisco there're just so many more religions so it's it's not it's not the focus so i'm this is going to be the first year that i'll have two months of christmas and it's it's um it's great that you're sharing this with us and with the listeners because this is six years later and still how this time period of you know the holidays is still can be triggering and as someone that's listening to this that you be mindful or we all can be mindful that during these happy times like even mother's day father's day Thanksgiving, Christmas, this, you know, a lot of people are also going through a lot of pain. It can be a time in which you're 
you know, the, your world around is all about celebration and all you want to do is to retrieve. So as someone that is maybe, maybe someone else that's not grieving, that's listening to this, but knows of someone that has had a loved one die recently, be very mindful how these holidays can bring up a lot of grief in them. So thank you for sharing that. And it could be, yeah, it could be years later and still these emotions come up. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think uh, just to add to that, it maybe even though somebody might find the holidays to be difficult, still invite them. Yes. <laughs> even if they say no repeatedly. Um, that for me is so amazing when somebody invites me to something that's a holiday gathering. Even if in giving you the choice to say no, not right. Giving you the choice to say no, but at least the invitation's there. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, I want to talk about friendships and you mentioned your friend, which, what was her name? The one that gave you her miles and, and do you mind sharing her name? Allison. Allison. Yeah. Did this show up in other parts of your life and with your friends or family did things for you or helped you in your grief journey? I'm so glad you asked that. That's such a huge part of in immediate grief. I had such supportive friends that came out of the woodwork. I mean, I did have one friend who disappeared who couldn't handle it. I think everybody has one friend kind of like that. That was really hurtful because he was probably my closest friend. He was my climbing partner. But at the same time, there are just so many people. When I got back from the airport, a friend picked me up and she gave me a couple of bags of whole foods, uh, salads and soups because she's like, I know you're healthy. I know you like to eat healthy. And I was like, but what? I can cook for myself. Her name's Kitty. I can cook for myself, Kitty. And she's like, you know what? Just take it. Like, you know, it'll, it'll be okay. <laughs> and I took it and I, I tell you, I ate every single item in those bags for two weeks. And I did not, I did not want to go shopping. I didn't want to leave. And it was like, that was sustaining me. So thank you, Kitty. I had another friend who went, he, he didn't go do, to the Camino de Santiago with me. He met me there, but he knew it was important for me to go there. I, my dad had wanted to go for many, many years, and I knew I was going to go to spread his ashes there. And where is this at? Where in Santiago? <laughs> what did you say? You just kind of rumbled up the way. I, I just yeah, yeah, kind of gave like, you another, another nugget, right? I love, yeah, I love, but okay, yeah. So go ahead and say, and say this, and then please dive deeper into that. I had a friend who was very adamant about me getting to the Camino while it was still fresh. Oh, my dad had wanted to go for a long time and I knew I wanted to go spread his ashes, but I didn't know when and I didn't know how. And he just, he just put a fire under me. He said, well, just get the plane ticket. Okay, we'll just do a little bit of training, you know, just carry a heavy bag around and see how you feel. And then and then he was there when I arrived, and that was helpful. He he had his own plan. Everybody kind of has their own plan when they do a walk like that. But it was helpful for him to kind of begin that. And he even he even helped me with the first spreading of my dad's ashes, which I was kind of like holding on to them. I didn't want to let them go. And he happens to have a background in seminary, so he. He um, whipped up something beautiful to say. We spread my dad's ashes. And the second, I feel like the second later, a fish jumped out of the water. And from then on, I just, I, I spread them on my own. I was able to kind of do that after that. I was able to find a way to make it special and make it a moment where I was talking to him and being with him. And um, this is how long amazing. after. So this is coming. This is in Spain. This is the. Yeah. This is in Spain. You're doing this. Did it was it a week long 
I don't know how long that I have a friend that's actually as oh. we're as we're recording that's there now. Oh. Said, a, uh, said a week long. Uh, how many days is it that well, you do it for? If you do the full thing, like my friend did the full thing, it can take about four weeks. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that it was that long. Oh wow, I did a two week version of it. I didn't feel like I could take four weeks off of work, which was kind of silly, but I I think it was just an excuse because I was worried about it too. I was worried about confronting, you know, not having work to kind of cloud my, I was worried that I would just be full on Exposed, exposed. Yes. It's like this exposed, like you're out there. Yeah. with nothing to hold on to and just your grieve they're like well at least if it's just two weeks and i have to go back to work it's something else yeah. to kind of hide you or kind of shield you from the exposing your grief for four weeks yeah it was but it was so incredible and there's so many people on that trail on that path who are going through major life transitions who are going through grief themselves I remember the first time i expressed to somebody why i was there there was just a deep understanding. It ha he happened to be, he happened to work at a funeral home in, in Germany. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I totally get that. <laughs> I was like, you do? <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is my job. And like, he was there because he had gotten out of a, like a very long-term relationship and lost, lost his job and was kind of exploring his own inner world and around that. But, um, it was so good. And the other part of it is you're not grieving. Yes, you have time to grieve. You have time to be by yourself, but you're exercising. You're, you're out there, you're walking, you're moving, you're feeling the nature around you, the sunshine, the trees. It's a really beautiful part of the path that I had started in. And you're experiencing just the wonder that is uh, travel and just being in a different place and being able to happen upon a place to stay that night. So for me, it was wonderful. <laughs> it wasn't just a chance to spread his ashes, but my friend, had my friend not urged me to do it and shown up there, I probably wouldn't have done it right then. I would have done it maybe a year after. This was only four months after, it was in April. So we have and Allison with the ticket, Kitty with the, <laughs> with the soups and salads, and this friend that walked to Santiago, what is his name? His name's Rich. And then Rich to Santiago. So you have all these friends, different different ways in which they supported you in your grief journey, either by kind of in in, in, in spite, you know, like inspiring you to do something that you'd wanted to do and doing it with you <laughs> like you did, or by feeding you or by putting you on a flight. So there's yeah. all these different ways in which we can be supported and also ideas for us that for us to support others who are going through that. Anyone else that you'd like to call out that sh that supported you in this journey and just share how, how they supported you? Yeah, well, I was thinking about Duncan as well, um, as well as Benjamin, but I'll, I'll get to Duncan first. <laughs> Duncan is a wilderness guide and he's just a wealth of resource and information. So when I was looking to select a backpack, he helped me select a backpack. And then when I got back, I found out that I had to move. So uh, I had a in-law unit in an Oakland house. I was always in the Bay Area moving from place to place. And then the houses would flip. <laughs> and then I'd have to find another place. <laughs> It's like couch so, surfing, couch surfing, but you're like in, in La Suite surfing, mother-in-law suite, suite surfing. surfing. <laughs> so I had to move and I moved into a new in-law unit. It was like a, it was a bigger in-law unit in a backyard, like separate, right? So that was like ideal, but it had no closet space. So I had to construct armoires <laughs> from Ikea and Duncan I don't know if you've ever constructed an armoire from Ikea. Oh gosh, anything, not... anything from Ikea. <laughs> but he's, he's very handy. And so he helped me and he like, I feel like Ikea can be a real relationship breaker 
for people, but like we just grew closer and friend as our as friendship in friendship through that time. I think for him, he had had some very major grief experiences himself, so he just knew how to be present. It's not like we would talk necessarily; we would just do this activity together. Um, either that, or we would go for walks together. It was just so nice to be in the presence of somebody because at that early time, I didn't necessarily feel like talking about it. That's great. And then yeah. the other, then the other friend. So that was done. And then you said one more friend that you said you wanted to shout out and mention how he helped you. Yeah, in February. So now we're we're backtracking a little bit. I went to a friend's birthday party, and it was basically a month after my a month and a half after my dad had died and i really didn't want to go to this birthday party <laughs> i was like i'm not feeling social i'm not feeling up for this but it, he kept encouraging me to go and i sat next to his friend actually benjamin gunning and also who had been on the podcast so i'm gonna send you that link because he has an amazing story but i um sat next to him and he just i i said hey you know like you might want to sit somewhere else <laughs> because my dad just died and i'm not i don't feel like talking <laughs> and he was like oh well you know what my mom passed away from cancer when i was in my 20s and then he told me the whole story and i just was like wrapped i was wrapped by it i was just so consumed by his story and it just felt like I had been seen in some level, just by hearing his story and his compassionate presence and willingness to be sitting there with me. So I, I that also kind of inspired, looking back on it later, that inspired the concept of a podcast of listening I, to other people's stories. I was stories. just, if you did not say that, <laughs> I was just like, okay, let me unmute because I want to like say, I like, thank you, Benjamin, because yeah, I was just going to say by you, it was just going to ask you if, if had you not heard that, would that not been like the case of you, you know, being able to do this podcast yourself? With totally. The, yeah. <laughs> totally. Wow. I was like, what, first of all, the, talk about people coming out of the woodwork. He totally came out of the woodwork. He was an acquaintance and I didn't even, you know, like the generosity he had with that story mm. was just so, I mean, he's a, he's a natural storyteller. I will say that, but it was just, it was incredible. Um, yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing all your friends' names as well as the capacity in which they helped you in their own, their own way, helped you in your, in your own grief journey. So now going back and wrapping to now the podcast. So when you started, you started doing this and then you going through your own grief journey as you're interviewing people and listening to people's stories now you've kind of transitioned your podcast to now be that other people also are the hosts. Share with us that and what drew you to making that shift in your in your podcast. Yeah, I think the first year felt really lonely in a sense. It wasn't that I was alone because I was connecting with people, but I really wanted collaborators. I really felt like I didn't have that. And that was something I was missing. I was missing it both in my professional life because I was, you know, I was contracting. I was kind of like project to project. I did something different each time, but not a lot of collaboration. So I was missing that in my professional life. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to build that in here. And I think I put a call out the end of that year to see if anybody would want to do it. And two people came immediately, and then I asked the third to join. And it was just an experiment, really, just to see how can we do this together? How can we create something together? And one of the guest hosts is actually Ken Brenneman, who I mentioned earlier, Wendy Rolon and Deborah Sito. And um, both Ken and Wendy are kind of in that, actually everybody was in that end of life healing state profession. And 
felt to me like that season was going to be about healing. So it became a season and a theme of healing. And it was supposed to be short. It's always supposed to be short. <laughs> it became like this full year journey where we kind of all came together and created this. And now um, my guest hosts are close friends. I'm meeting up with Wendy for what we call Zoom and Cider, <laughs> where we drink our favorite cider as well, talking to each other on Zoom. Um, actually, I don't think she's even drinking right now. So it's just sort of symbolically. <laughs> just like but... saying meet for coffee when we say let's go meet for coffee and someone yeah. doesn't drink coffee, but that's just the saying. Yeah. So you still call it Zoom and Cider. Zoom yeah. and Cider. I want to say Zider now because of Zoom. Zoom and Cider, even if she's not drinking cider, but okay. So then, yeah. yeah so then you've, you've basically created your community as well of support by then inviting these other hosts that have also been your community in your own grief journey. They're your community now in your working environment because this is not what you do as well as your now friends and community. Now tell us more about Breathing Wind as well as what other projects it is you do because you also help produce other people's podcasts and, and other things as well. So can you tell us more about that, please? Yeah. So Breathing Wind is a podcast about grief, loss, change, and healing. And as I mentioned, it started out as a personal project and now it's evolved into this community of people, each who kind of take their own lens on a theme. So that year, that season two was healers talking with a lot of other healers. So season two is a great, you know, healing focused journey. Season three has been about joy and it has been so light, but also deep in so many ways, because I feel like joy can often be that polar opposite of grief. It makes people feel almost as uncomfortable. And when you put the two together, <laughs> imagine what you have to pitch. Um, so it's just been a beautiful project. It's been such a beautiful connecting space. And I'm so excited for what next year will bring. I don't know yet what that's going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be something amazing that will get dreamed up when I'm taking a break. <laughs> and, uh, and then and the connect- other projects that you help? Yeah. So I have um, transitioned out of that to doing podcast production. So my business is called The Connected Podcaster, where I help hard-centered inner visuals and organizations really learn how to find their voice, um, create stories within their podcasts, and share it and build community of their own. So basically doing everything I've done with the guest hosts, Breathing Wind, and kind of replicating that, specifically focusing on people who want to share a message that kind of helps the world. Paying it forward. And what is your dad's name? By the way, John. John. And John, for having birthed this very creative child here, being part of the creation of Sarah, and that his life then inspired your own life now and your own journey. So just sending love to to John and to your mom. And your mom, what is your mom's name? Sandy. And Sandy to John and Sandy because they're they're part of who you are too. They're, <laughs> so I just wanted to say thank you to them. And I know that now that you're in that role of caretaker to your mom, that um, that it's important to honor her as well in this um, journey that she's on as well. Is there anything I have not asked you, Sarah, that you would like to share with the listeners? No, no, I don't think so. I just, I thank you for giving me this space and it always feels good to kind of talk about this experience with other, and hopefully in hopes that other people hear it and they benefit from it. So thank you for holding this space for people because it's so important. It's so not spoken about enough in our culture. And I think that more of us that are out there do spreading this message, the better. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's so it's so true. Like we all we all created it because we saw a need and uh, for ourselves, right? And here we are providing now a service for others. But really, it started because we wanted we we needed it ourselves, and so that's why we we created. So thank you as well for being part of this podcast as well as creating your own podcast. So. Thank you again. And again, to contact Sarah Davis, breathingwindpodcast.com. Is that correct? I'm not looking at my notes. Tell yes. us the website. Did I say it breathing, right? Or breathingbring.com. Breathingwind.com. Okay, <laughs> breathingwind.com. And then you can find all her different offerings on that website, her podcast being one of them, as well as your production component as well there. So thank you so much once again. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.